So, how are you? I'm good. I had a brilliant day. So, you know that card that I was supposed to be making? Well, I did make it. I put all the writing inside, but but you don't need to know how I glued that. I did it really well, though. And I and like I made a flower pot, but Mum mustn't hear this, okay? So, like, I got to choose two colours. I chose pink and purple, and I put the pink one down. Was there a ladybird? Well, we don't need to know that. That was a lot of words. I know. I am a very, very good chatter. You are a very good chatter. I have long chats with my friends. You seem to have long chats with yourself as well. I know. I chat to myself in bed when I can't think of anything to do because I can't get to sleep. Right. And I also chat to my toys when I feel a bit stressed. You feel stressed, do you? Yes, when I feel stressed. And when I want to tell them stuff. Right. That's fair enough. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story begins on March the 6th, 1340. So a long, long time ago. How many years? Oh, for... Um, nearly 700 years ago nearly so like 690 something years ago that's a long long time because on that day a woman called Philippa of Hano gave birth to a little boy called John in the city of Ghent in modern day Belgium I like people called John yeah and it it was a popular name then as now John's never gone out of fashion as a name really some names kind of place themselves in history as to, you know, when they were popular. But John, he could be all the way from, like, the Middle Ages through to today. Okay, keep reading, please. This John, though, he was quite a special little boy, as his father was the King of England, Edward III. John had two older brothers, which meant that at the time of his birth, he was instantly third in line for the throne. So, like, when his dad died... His oldest brother, like, just pretend that I named him. So, like, his oldest brother, Mark, would be on, <laughs> would be on the throne. <coughs> and then when Mark dies, Stan would be on the throne. If they were called um, Mark and Stan, yeah. they were called uh, Edward and Lionel. So it, if tis their dad died, then Edward would... Be Edward Wood, yeah. Would be king. He would and be king. And yeah. then if he died, um, what's the other name? <coughs> the other one's Lionel. Lionel would be king, and then if Lionel died, John would be king. That's that's where it was at the point of his Wait, birth. Wait, but yes. what happened if John died? Oh well, we won't need to get into that. Don't worry. Okay, good. There's always a line of succession. Don't worry. Good, good. John's oldest brother, Edward Junior, is now better known as the Black Prince who had become a hero to the English at the age of only 16 during the Battle of Crecy, when he led a force of less than 10,000 Englishmen against a French army that outnumbered them around 7 to 1. Wait, 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 wait. Is John John O'Gaunt? Yes, he's John of Gaunt, which was the English word for Ghent. So it basically means John, who was born in Ghent. Yay. But at this time... He was just known as Baby John, and the the person that everyone was interested in was his older brother. Why? The Black Prince. Why? Because the Black Prince was really... He was, he'd won famous battles. 
So he was considered a proper English prince. Because he'd beaten a French army that had been about 70,000 strong and he'd only had 10,000. But he still managed to win. Because he'd asked his dad for help in the battle. He said, King Edward III, will you send me some more troops? It looks like we're going to get battered here. And his dad went, no, no, no. This is a good opportunity for you to show how strong you are. And he did. And he did. He got he got through it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Having longbowmen really helped. Because the English longbow was the best weapon at this period of time. It was just the best thing that, that there was anywhere in Europe. And gave us a massive advantage as a country. Okay. In any fight. Because we could fire more accurately and further than anyone else. Why would you need to fire cannons? We didn't have cannons at this point. This is way before cannons. These good. are these are bows and arrows. Good. But really good ones. And though he did in you know, he was happy he won the battle, was the Black Prince, he did feel a little bit bad about the fact that a guy called King John of Bohemia had died. Because his younger brother is called John, and if he told him that, then he'd be very ashamed of his brother, and he'd like be, okay, I don't like you anymore because you just killed another person from my name, so I don't like you anymore. No, no, that's not the reason he felt guilty. He felt guilty because um, John of Bohemia, he was... friend? No, no, he was on the other side. He was fighting for the French, but he was completely blind during the battle he'd been blind for 10 years so he couldn't see but he still rode into battle so he felt a bit bad about the fact that they killed a blind man oh. though to be fair if you're blind maybe you shouldn't be going to battle yeah so it's actually is John, i'm guessing that would be a difficult thing to do i think john of bohemia probably should have given the battle a swerve yeah he shouldn't have done the battle either way killing a blind man aside John Gaunt idolised his older brother and wanted nothing more than to be just like him. What does idolise? He thought he was the best thing in the world. He he looked at the Black Prince and went, that's everything I want to be. I want to be a famous knight. I want to win famous battles. I want everyone to think I'm brilliant. So he really likes his brother? Loves his brother. Aww. Does he love his other brother? Oh, he loves all his brothers, don't Aww. you worry. Well, he well only there's, has one, two. there's one he doesn't love that much. He gets younger brothers as well. Um, wait... Which one is the one that he doesn't love that much? <coughs> We're not up to that bit yet. Okay. Okay. okay? Focus okay. on what's happening now. Don't worry about it, okay? So, he wanted nothing more than to be just like the Black Prince. So he was thrilled when he was finally allowed to go to his first battle at the age of ten. Ten? Yes. Ten? Yeah. Does he still admire his brother? Oh, he, he's going to go to battle with his brother. Because yes. on the 29th of August, he was allowed to join the Black Prince on a boat for a naval battle, which means a battle at sea, against the forces of Castile, which was a kingdom in Spain who were allied to France. And we were fighting the French because this was part of the Hundred Years' War where we were always fighting the French. Wait, we're going to France? Yeah, we are. We're not at war with France anymore. Good. Yeah. Well, we're, I wouldn't be going there. We have the Entente Cordiale now. We're friends. Good. Kind of. We're frenemies at the worst. What are frenemies? It's people that you're kind of friends, friends with. Friends and enemy, enemies. Yeah, together. Fre- you know, rivalry. Frenemies. <laughs> I, I like calling them frenemies. Frenemies. Yes. yes. No, frenemies. Yes, that's what I said. Frenemies. It was only permitted for John O'Gaunt to go by his mum, so long as there was a promise to try and keep John away from any actual fighting. 
It's like, he can go on the boat, but don't you get that boat too close to the people from Castile? Don't you get him into the middle of anything? Unfortunately, staying away from the action was not really the Black Prince's style. His ship ended up in the thick of the fighting and was soon damaged to the point that, and I quote, water came in very abundantly. Why did water come in? Because there was a big hole in the ship. So it started sinking. Why was there a big hole in the ship? Because they got too close to the battle. Why did they get too close to the battle? Because the Black Prince wasn't listening to his mum. Why did the Black Prince not listen to his mum? Because he was headstrong and he really wanted to fight. Why is he headstrong? And what does that mean? I'm just going to carry on. Okay. With the ship sinking, (laughs) the two royal brothers decided they needed to swap it out quickly. They needed to get a new one, and they decided that they may as well just take one from the other side. So they drew up alongside a ship called the Bilbao. Not the Bilbo, the Bilbao. Yeah, it's called the Bilbo Baggins. They pulled up alongside the Bilbo Baggins, and they boarded it, taking control and helping to win the battle in the process. So he wasn't supposed to be part of the battle, but John O'Gorn got a lot more experience than maybe and he was also, expecting Daddy, at the age of the, 10. The boat actually looks like Bilbo Baggins. That's why it's called the Bilbo Baggins. If that's what you have to imagine to make it real for you, why not? <laughs> yeah, it now, does. Now, John O'Gaunt had enjoyed his first taste of battle, and at the age of 15, he was made a knight, sailing across the channel to fight a campaign alongside his father and his older brother, the Black Prince. Why um, is he called the Black? <coughs> There's a few um, thoughts. One is um, that his armour was black. So when he wore armour into battle, he was quite obvious because he was the one in the black armour. But why is he the Red Prince? He didn't wear red. He didn't. No. Not not really sure. Anyway, unfortunately for John, he had barely landed in Calais in France when the Scots decided to invade the north of England. Scots. The Scottish. Oh, I thought the, like, Scots as in you eat. Like, the Scots were alive and they just, like, were going into battle. Like, what are the ah! Scots? What Scots do you eat? Like, the the one with the bun and then cream and jam. Scone. Yes, yeah, Scone. That's a scone, not a Scot. <laughs> scone, and then the Scots are, like, going into battle with the humans and they're like, ah, no! As amusing as that is, I'm talking about the Scottish. <laughs> Because as much as the English and the French were always fighting, the English and the Scottish were always fighting, and the Scottish guys, seeing that a big army of English troops had gone across to France, went, ooh, this would be a great opportunity to see if we can't take some more land. No! So John O'Gorn, rather than being able to fight in France, he had to go with his dad, King Edward, to deal with the invasion at home. And as a result... He was not present for the Black Prince's famous victory at Poitiers when he again overcame a much larger French army, which must have really annoyed John because he desperately wanted to have the same fame as his brother. And he'd been dragged away from this battle that's really famous now. And afterwards, everyone went, oh, the Black Prince, isn't he great? Isn't he wonderful? Look at what he can do. Um, and John was stuck in Scotland. Um, Dad? Hmm? It, was it another ship battle with the Bilbo Baggins boat involved? No, no, this was a this was um, the English made a fortified position and they fought on foot. Terrible. I like both. There are no more naval battles in this story, I'll just warn you now, okay? <laughs> Instead of winning battles, John was busy learning about diplomacy and the boring administration of running a kingdom, so all the paperwork. 
He didn't realise it at the time, but it was vital to everything that he would end up becoming, that he was really good at the administration side of things. What does vital mean? It's very important. Essential. The Black Prince returned to England himself in 1357, and he brought with him the captured King of France. Yeah, he managed to get the King of France during a battle. Which was... Did he kidnap him, like, time to a chair, and then, uh, like, time to a, like, chair with wheels, like a spinny chair, like a, a chair with wheels, and then he, like, captured him and then no, tied his mouth shut, he, and then he... he just wheeled him all the way. No, 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 he, he captured him by um, beating him in battle, and the French king said, I surrender, and then he treated him really nice, he fed him, and he put him, when they marched into London... The King of France was at the front of the procession on a really nice horse because he was still a king. You had to treat him nicely. But he was their prisoner. Aww. Yeah. Adorable. But again, if you talk about being famous, capturing a king makes you pretty damn famous. And while John O'Gaunt was busy learning about how to, you know, sort out grain disputes in his local, you know, villages, well, the Black Prince had captured the King of France. What? Did it? Yes. Da, da, da. We'd, we'd already done that bit, Evie. Well, I need to do it again because it's extra bad now. Well, basically, the Black Prince was again the centre of attention. Da, da, da. And even when John O'Gaunt struck up friendships aside from his family, he ended up becoming friends with people who would go on to be more famous than him. Like Geoffrey Chaucer who is now known as the first writer to use common English for his works. Because in those days, the upper classes, so kings and nobles, they didn't speak English. They spoke French and Latin. To differentiate themselves from poor people like me and you. So we'd speak English, Middle English, but the nobles would speak Latin and they'd speak French to show that they were better than us. Which wasn't true, but, you know, it's just to differentiate. Okay. The two, Chaucer and John O'Gaunt, would be firm friends for the rest of their lives. Uh, Chaucer's now most famously known for a book called The Canterbury Tales, which I'm pretty sure you'll end up studying if you do English to A-level. I do like English very much. It's very fun. get to write and draw and write. Well, then you may end up reading The Canterbury Tales at some point. But where he was not getting opportunities for fame in battle... In 1358, John O'Gorn found himself with an amazing opportunity to increase his power and influence within England. He was engaged to marry Blanche of Lancaster. Is he a girl? Blanche? She's a girl, yeah. Same-sex marriage wasn't quite allowed at this point. That was a more recent thing. So Blanche was definitely a woman. Okay. Her father, the Duke of Lancaster, was the richest person in all of England. And Blanche and her new husband, would be entitled to inherit half of his lands and property after he died, because <clears throat> she had a sister. Yay! So he would be getting half of the wealth of the richest man in England when the richest man in England died, which is quite a good thing for him. There was a slight issue in that John and Blanche were related, as they were third cousins, which means that they had the same great-great-grandfather. Cousins, yay! Wait, mm. you're not allowed to marry your family. No, you're not. And they had to go and ask special permission from the Pope 
da, da, da. Wait, what is a pope? Uh, the head of the Catholic Church. So they had to go and ask the guy who's got a direct line to God to tell them if it will be okay or not. Okay. <coughs> Luckily for them, the Pope said, yes, it is okay. I've spoken to God. He said, just this once, it's all right. You two can get married. Yay! And the wedding went ahead in 1919. Probably. John, his dad and his brother, celebrated by immediately going on another campaign in France. So they went to war again. This time, John O'Gaunt was able to stay long enough to actually win some battles. But his friend Chaucer was captured and had to be ransomed back for the cost of £16. Why? Because that's what happened in um, the Middle Ages. If you were rich and important enough, people wouldn't kill you in battle, they'd capture you, and then they'd ask for money to give you back. And Chaucer was worth £16. So they paid and they got they got Geoffrey Chaucer back. Why £16, not 100 He wasn't that yes. important, let's say. Oh, OK. Yeah. For example... When the French finally paid to get their king back, after four years of negotiations, they agreed to pay three million to get him back. Pounds or pennies? No, écus. What are écus? An old French coin, but they were made of solid gold. So if you imagine, it was probably around the equivalent of uh, three million quid. So Chaucer's worth 16 quid. That's one end of the scale. The other end of the scale is the king of France. Three million. And everyone would fall somewhere on that range. Because to be honest, if you're worth less than £16, you're probably not worth keeping alive. So oh, you just no. get killed. Oh no, oh no, oh no. But a sliding scale. Why? Why what? Why 300 Not Why not 100 It was what was negotiated. As soon as I you caught... I think it should have been 50 As soon as you captured a noble person, you would get in contact with their family and you'd say, right... How much do you want? How much are you going to pay me? How much do you want him back? All right, let's figure out a deal. And then you'd agree a payment, and then they'd give you the money, and you'd give them the person back. And if they didn't pay, you'd kill the person. Execute them like Anne Boleyn. Uh, no, you wouldn't bother to get an axe and a block. You'd just stab them. Oh. Mm. With a peace treaty signed, the English armies returned home, just in time for a second wave of the bubonic plague. Our good old friend, the Black Death. Ew. Mmm. Swept through England for a second time, just as they got back. Ew. Disgusting. Well, it was disgusting. Makes your blood drip out your nose and eyes and head. Yeah. Makes you mould. But it can also be a good thing, if you're John O'Gaunt. Why? Why? Because it killed his father-in-law in 1361, giving John and Blanche half of the massive Lancastrian estate. So who was the king? Oh, no. The king was still the king. Oh, good. Edward III was still the king, but the Duke of Lancaster, the guy who owned all of the property, he died, which meant that John O'Gorn inherited half of it. Because at this time, women couldn't own things. Who, Everything went to their is... husbands. Oh. Yeah. Don't oh. worry, we've what changed did... that now. What was the rest of it for? Well, the rest of it went to his other daughter, Maud. So he had two daughters, Blanche, who was married to John, and Maud. So Blanche got half of it, but John was in charge of that because he was the husband, and Maud got half of it. Um, wait. Mm. 
Where did where, why did he not get any? Who? John. He did. He got the half that his wife had been given like, because he was the man. Like about two hundred million thousand pounds. He got half of the Duchy of Lancaster, which is a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it got even better the next year because Maud died as well. Maud? Yeah, Blanche's sister. So they got the entire thing then because they inherited from Maud. So they ended up being, at the age of 22, John O'Gorm was the richest man in the country behind his dad, the king. Wait, can we get money? Like, spend it on something this weekend for ourselves and then our mum. Don't get distracted. Okay. We're talking about how John's going to spend his money. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Then we can talk about where, how mm. we're going to spend our money. So he became the richest man in England behind the king. And he also became the most important advisor to the king as his two older brothers had left the country. <gasps> da, 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 da. Now he's king. No, he's not king. He he's is. the advisor to the king. His dad's still a king. But his oldest brother, the Black Prince, he was ruling an area of France called Aquitaine. And his other older brother, Lionel, he was um, governor of Ireland. So he'd gone across to Ireland. The Black Prince had gone across to France, which meant that John O'Gaunt was the only brother left who was there to advise the king. What about his other Which made him very important. They weren't old enough yet to have any of these jobs. How old were they? I don't know. Okay. There were a lot of people in this story, Evie. I didn't keep track of all their ages. John O'Gaunt spent six years doing nothing but managing his estates and running errands for his dad before he got another chance to fight on the continent. So while his brothers were out having fun, ruling their own bits, he was the dog's body to his dad. Anytime his dad needed some negotiating done, he sent John. Anytime there was a little uprising that needed squashing, he sent John. Oh, did John do well in battle? He did okay, but he wanted to win a big battle like his older brother had. He wanted to have his own Poitiers or his own Cressy. He wanted to have a battle that people would talk about forever. And he finally got his chance because the English ally, known as Pedro the Cruel... (laughs) Pedro! Pedro the Cruel. Why is he called Pedro the Cruel? Ah, we'll get to that. But he'd been overthrown by his half-brother and he wanted help to retake the Kingdom of Castile. He was known as Pedro the Cruel as it was strongly suspected that he had killed his wife and he had a habit of stabbing prisoners to death for no real reason. So he was considered to be quite a naughty man. But Bad man. Despite him clearly being the bad guy, John O'Gaunt and his brother, the Black Prince, were asked by their dad to help Pedro because they'd signed an alliance. So they had to uh. kind of do it. They'd signed a thing that said, if you get in trouble, we'll help. And they kind of had to honour it. No, but he's me- mean. Why should they? Because they signed a document and they they were very chivalrous with the Black Prince and John O'Gaunt. Their honour was everything. If they said they were going to do something, they'd do it. Okay? So they marched an army into Castile and on April the 3rd, 1367, the two armies lined up near the town of Najera for a decisive battle. Is that near Hesham? <laughs> no, it's in Spain. Oh, John O'Gaunt was given the honour of leading the troops into battle and he fought at the very front of the English line. He was described as fighting, this is a quote, <clears throat> full of valour, so nobly that everyone marvelled, looking at his great prowess. 
No one, rich or poor, adventured himself so far forward as he did. Who is the he? John O'Gaunt. So he threw himself into battle at the front. He was swinging his sword left and right. He was killing people here. He was killing people there. He was showing that he was really good at war. Punching people over here. I don't know. He wasn't punching and kicking. This was slashing and stabbing. The English won the battle decisively, and John O'Gaunt finally had a victory and the renown he craved. So he was the hero of this battle, and he could hang his hat on that. It was like, yes, I was the person who won the battle in Castile. And he's famous like his brother. Yeah. The victory, though, it proved to be a high point in John's life, as things quickly went downhill from there. So it's like... He's super happy. He's got his wife. He's got all of his money. He's finally won a famous battle. He's like, yes. But then he goes down. Yeah, we're going to talk about how it goes downhill. Firstly... Did he roll down the hill? No, this is, it means things got worse. Okay. Quickly. Firstly, his brother, the Black Prince, became seriously ill and will remain sickly for the rest of his life. So he caught something while they were fighting in Castile and it kept him ill and bed-bound for most of the rest of his life. Oh. Secondly... Like King... our mum. Like my mum. Mm, not quite. I think it was slightly worse than mum. Mm. Mm. Secondly, King Pedro immediately went back to his old ways, stabbing prisoners and refusing to pay the English what he had agreed to for their help. He only managed to stay king for another two years before his half-brother Enrique tricked him into leaving the safety of a castle and stabbed him in the face. <gasps> What, in the... In the face. It just says in the face. And that's what happens. If you stab people in the face as a king, eventually someone's going to stab you in the face. So King Pedro died. If he'd been a better king, no one would have wanted to stab him in the face, would they? There's a life lesson in that, I think. Yes. Yeah. Don't stab people or they'll stab you. Yeah. I don't stab people. Good. That's probably they a good still thing. stab me. No one stabbed you. Yeah. You've never come home with a stab wound. Yeah, I have. Someone stabbed me with their head today. I got That's a, a headbutt. It's not <laughs> a stab. It's not a stab. Yeah, a stab is with a sharp implement. It's not. Your head is not sharp. Thirdly, the very next year, in 1368, the love of John O'Gaunt's life, Blanche, she died. She was only 26. Very sad. How she, many years did they spend together? Uh, about ten. They were together for ten years, and then just out of. And it was her, co- his cousin. Yeah, so he was doubly sad. He was devastated by the death of his wife, and he had his friend Geoffrey Chaucer compose a poem in her honour called "The Book of the Duchess." Can we hear it? Uh, I would have to find it, and I'm not going to do that quite now. Okay. okay? But I'm sure there are copies of it somewhere that we could read. Then, to top it all off, his other older brother, Lionel, he died after eating too much at his own wedding feast. So he was getting married and they cooked him a big feast and he was eating this massive feast for around two weeks and he ate so much that he just died. His tummy must have gone, no more. And he kept giving it more until eventually it just went... And he blew up! Let's say he did. So Lionel blew up. Oh, no. Yeah. 
which is a shame. You'd never want your older brother to blow up. No, I don't want my younger brother to blow up. Yeah, well, he doesn't eat enough. He he hasn't eaten a feast for two straight weeks, has he? No. No, and we'll, we'll never let him, just in case. Can I eat a feast? Yeah. Not that much. Not that much. I'm sure you'll get to eat a feast at some point. Yay. Yeah. Some point next week. No, I don't think it'll Definitely be next week. next week. Okay. Amazingly, things continue to get worse when his brother, the Black Prince, still unable to even walk, faced a rebellion in his lands in Aquitaine. So he had to fight? Well, he couldn't fight, and with many of the local lords deciding that it might be better to defect to the French... King... Wait, 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 wait. You said there were no more rebellions in the story. I said there were no more boat battles. Boat battles. That's a boat battle. No, no, this is still in France. No. King Edward asked John Gaunt to lead an army to go and help his brother. And it was while he was preparing this army to sail across to France that his mother died as well. Philippa died in what? 1369. Why is everyone dying? I don't know, but it's like... Is that the plague? No. In a year, he lost his wife, one of his brothers and his mum. All of while he was trying to organise a trip across to help his other brother, who was really seriously ill. It was not going well for the family at this point. So he could watch TV in No, he was carried around. There was no TV. He was carried around in like a little chair called a litter. And he was carried around by people. So not even a wheelchair? No, they didn't have wheelchairs then either. He wasn't even able to stay for his mother's funeral because he had to go and help his brother. And he did manage to protect his brother's lands, but he didn't get to win any more heroic victories. And the cost of the campaign which had been paid for by taxes back in England. Yeah, I know, you don't like taxes. It proved to be quite unpopular. With the English people back home beginning to wonder if holding lands on the other side of the channel was worth the constant expense. They were like, it costs us so much to keep sending armies over there to fight the French. How about we just didn't? What if we just had the lands here on the island that we all live on And we were happy with that. And we saved all of our money rather than keep taxing us. It seemed a very long time since his great victory in Castile. So John O'Gaunt, he was wanting to recapture that. And he decided that the best way to make himself feel better would be to become the king of Castile himself. And to die. What? If you die, then you'll just go up to heaven. And then you'd be really happy, like, your brother's there if he dies, so then he'll be like, yay, everything's back to normal. And all the dead people that he loved will be there too. Right, but he wants to be happy in his life, so he wants to become king of Castile. Yes, but he can still feel stuff. Okay, his plan is to become king of Castile. Hmm. That's how he's going to make himself feel better. He can still be king, pink king Yeah, he can be king of Castile. No, people people in the Middle Ages wanted to be king of countries and he picked the, the country, well, he picked the kingdom of Castile and he said, the one thing, do you know, the one thing that's going to make me feel better after my wife died and my brother died and my mum died and I got really unpopular because I went to help my brother out is if I just become king of Castile myself and then I can live in Castile as a king and that'll make me happy. I can be my own king. Because by this time, the Black Prince had had kids. So John would no longer get to become king. Because if his dad died, and if the Black Prince died, 
then the Black Prince's kids would be next in line for the throne, not John. So he's never going to be King of England. He knows that. And he's like, I'll be King of Castile instead. That's a nice kingdom. It's sunny there. Yeah, is it sunny all the time? It's a lot sunnier than here. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's an upgrade. With Pedro dead, his two daughters had a claim on the crown. So John married one of them, called Constance. Is she bad? No, she's just convenient. He married her in 1371. This allowed him to claim, through her sort of line of succession, to be King of Castile. And as the two didn't love each other, uh, they just got married and then lived in separate castles. Oh, so how did they not... Why did they not live in... Why did they not love each other? Well... When you marry someone, (coughs) you might have already known that you love them. Not so much back then. A lot of marriages were for convenience, for political benefit. So he looked at it and he went, Constance, look, I marry you, right? You then get a yearly income that you can use to do up this castle, however you want to do it up. You can have servants, you can have all the food you want, and I get to call myself King of Castile. Uh, But we don't really need to live together or spend time together because we don't really like each other. And she went, well, I'm going to do quite well out of this. I'm going to have my own castle. I'm going to be quite rich. Why not? So they they agreed. It was more of a business arrangement than it was That's love. That's loving each other. That's loving each other, is it? Love, it's a business arrangement. <laughs> business. Unfortunately, though, John would have to wait a while before he could head to Spain to claim his new kingdom. Because his family needed him again. He'd already done so much for his family. Well, this time, he was sent back across to the continent with even more taxpayer money to try and fight a new campaign against the French. Just say, no. Send another army. You can't say no to your dad when he's the king. He said, I command, as king, that you shall go and fight the French again and take all of this money... To fit out an army and go and do it. So John went, okay, Dad, you're asking me to do that, I'll go. It was a complete failure. And John, because he had been the head of the army, even though it hadn't been his idea, he ended up taking most of the blame. His father, the king, had spent so much on campaigns in France that he was now pretty much broke. Meaning that John was the richest man in England. So all the common people in England, they looked at him and they went... So you took all of our tax money and you spent it all losing battles in France despite the fact that you're the richest person in the country. Why didn't you just pay for your own army, John? And John was like, well, I didn't want to go and fight this battles. I I only did it because my dad told me to and he gave me the money because he's the king. What do you want me to do? But he was very unpopular, is what I'm saying. Oh, why was he unpopular? Because everyone thought that he was a bit of a loser even though he hadn't wanted to go on this campaign. In 1376, a parliament was called so that the king could ask for even more money in taxes. Why more money? Because he'd spent it all. But the representatives of the commons had finally had enough. They accused the advisers of the king of being corrupt, because accusing the king of anything was treason and would end up with your head being chopped off. So you would always accuse the advisers of giving him bad advice. You'd never say, this king is spending so much money. You'd say, this king's advisers are giving him bad advice and that's causing him to spend all of the money. For no reason. Mm. Because both the king and the black prince were feeling very ill at this point, 
It was left to John O'Gaunt to hear their complaints and to agree to fire unpopular officials in order to get the money his father needed. So he had to agree to all their demands to get the tax money for his dad because his dad had told him he needed the money. This became known as the Good Parliament due to the concessions that the commoners were able to get. So they were really happy. They were like, he's, he's saying yes to everything. We want people fired. He's firing them. We want him to make promises. He's making them. This is great. This is a very good parliament. Sadly for John, though, his work did not help his father or brother at all, as neither recovered from their illnesses. With the Black Prince dying in June of 1376, and the King, King Edward, dying in the November. This left the Black Prince's ten-year-old son, Richard, as the new king. So he's ten years old, and he's now king. Richard. Richard, that's the Black Prince's son. Mm. John had promised his dying brother that he would look after Richard, and he felt the best way he could do this would be to restore all the powers to the monarchy that he'd been forced to give up during the good parliament. So, in 1377, he called another parliament. Yeah. Did he take good care of Richard? Well, yeah, he tried to get him all of his powers back. Everything that he'd had to say, okay, commoners, we'll do that for you. He called them all back and went, yeah, we're not doing any of that anymore. The king's word is law. We're not going to make any concessions to you. You're going to give us all the tax money and you're going to shut up about it. Because he promised he'd look after his nephew. It was at this parliament that he introduced an idea called a poll tax which is a tax that absolutely every man had to pay, and it was a flat rate. Did women have to pay? No. Women couldn't own property, though, so you had nothing to pay with. Yeah. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good time for women, this, Evie. Oh. The the Middle Ages, pretty terrible time to be a woman. Oh. Because you couldn't own property. You know, you, you were sort of being married off for political advantage rather than love. It wasn't a great time to be a woman, especially... Yeah, I mean... I guess noble women were the ones being married off for political advantage. I don't think poor women were making profitable matches. I think you were allowed to marry for love if you were poor, is what I'm saying. Good. Mm. But this poll tax, this idea that there was a flat tax that everyone had to pay, it was wildly unpopular because it it hurt the poorest the most because they had the least to pay, but it was a flat tax. So if, if, if I ask you for £3... That's a lot of money to you, because you get 50p pocket money a week, yeah? No, I'm not giving you that. Yeah, but in with the poll tax, you'd have to pay £3, but I'd have to pay £3 as well, even though I have more money. So it doesn't hurt me as much as it hurts you. And that's why all the poor people in England were like, this is stupid. We don't want to pay this poll tax. I don't want to pay the poll tax. No. Why should I? Yeah, well, you don't have to, don't worry. Oh, good. The people of England suspected that John O'Gaunt was planning to usurp his nephew and have himself crown king instead, and that this poll tax was his way of raising funds in order to pay for a mercenary army so that he could do it. And John had to flee from London to avoid the mobs who were trying to have him killed. Why? Because he was that unpopular by this point. He'd introduced this tax and he was incredibly unpopular for it. By the time of the third poll tax in 1681, because they kept doing it, even though it was very unpopular, the people of England were so annoyed that they decided to try a full-scale rebellion, which became known as the Peasants' Revolt. We know about that. Yes, we covered it in episode 110, if, if anyone wants to listen back, with Watt Tyler. 
Yeah. Tyler. While the peasants' revolt was going on, John was up in Scotland trying to negotiate a peace with the Scottish king. He tried to support his nephew as best he could over the next few years, but a few failed military campaigns later, and John was seriously concerned that there was a plot to have him killed. So he tried his best to advise his nephew, but everything that he tried went wrong, and King Richard II was like, I think it's you, John. Because was he? How old was he <coughs> when this happened? Which one, John or Richard? Richard. Uh, Richard would have been in his early 20s at this point. Okay. And John would have been in his late 50s. And because he, he suspected there was a plot to have him killed, John O'Gorn decided this was probably a good time to make himself scarce and to finally head to Spain to take his place as King of Castile. So he's like, I'm out of here. I'm off to take up my kingship in the hot country where I can just enjoy having what a tan. nephew? Well, he was like, he's, he's, he's no longer a kid. He's old enough now to look after himself. I've done what I said I'd do. I looked after him. He's now an adult. He can look after himself. Unfortunately for John, he didn't manage to ever become King of Castile. Why? Because there was already a King of Castile, and that King of Castile had a bigger army than John did. But what he did manage to do was get a peace deal settled where he received um, an annual payment from the King of Castile in return for never trying to become King of Castile again himself. So he got more money out of it. But he didn't ever get to become the king that he always wanted to be. He finally arrived back in England in November 1389, by which time it became apparent that Richard II was a terrible king. His nephew. Yeah, he, he wasn't good at being a king, and he'd already had his nobles in open revolt against him, including John O'Gaunt's own son, Henry Bolingbroke. So while John O'Gaunt had been away... His son and a load of other nobles have gone, right, we really need to do something about this king. He's just so awful. So they sort of led a little rebellion and managed to force the king to make some changes. Or they, you know, they were going to overthrow him. They were like, "Mm, we don't want to overthrow you, but you need to change, Richard, because you're being a bit of a meanie. Because remember, he's his cousin, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the king and Henry Bolingbroke, they're cousins. So he's like, well, come on, man. We're related. We're family. But just don't be don't be like this anymore. You're getting it wrong. You're being a terrible king. Be a good king. Yeah. Come on the good side, not the bad side. Yeah. But even though he could see he wasn't the best king in the world, John, he remembered that he promised his brother, the Black Prince, that he would try his best to look after his nephew. So he remained loyal to King Richard II and helped to ensure eight years of relative peace by putting out all the fires. So every time Richard started a row with someone, John O'Gaunt was there to try and smooth it over, to try and make it better. He was just working flat out to try and keep his nephew from inciting people to try and kill him. That was a full-time job for John O'Gaunt. Poor John O'Gaunt. Unfortunately, despite him doing this for eight years... Richard II steadily became more paranoid, more worried that people were out to get him. He suspected that some of his lords were plotting to have him uh, removed, and he ordered that they be rounded up and executed. What? Well, like a... all of his friends? Former friends, I think, when you're having them executed. <laughs> so that they were his friends? 
he was very paranoid. But it wasn't just his friends, because amongst those that he had rounded up and executed, John Agon's younger brother, so he had his own uncle executed. What? Yeah. Who? Who? Thomas of Thomas of Woodstock, he was called. He was no. John Agon's younger brother. I he like... was Richard's uncle, and Richard had him um, captured in Calais. And he, I say executed, he hadn't had a trial. Oh, so like... he was murdered. They I had like... him murdered. I like Woodstock people. Yeah, well, it was near where you were born, wasn't it? What? Woodstock's not too far from um, Swindon. Yeah. I don't think it is, anyway. We'll have to check, don't worry. Yeah. But even this show of loyalty, not saying anything when your own brother's being killed by the king, it was not enough to stop Richard from looking on John O'Gaunt as a potential threat. After all, he was the richest man in the country. Though he had forgiven John's son his part in the Lord's Revolt of 1386, Henry Bolingbroke, he took the opportunity when it presented itself to exile him in 1398. What? So exile means that you banish someone. You say to someone, <clears throat> you must leave my country and you can never come back. What happens if they do come back? Then you, then they can be killed. It's like, I'm not having you executed. You've got to leave. But if you ever come back, then I, I definitely will have you executed. Are we nearly done? Yeah. Okay. But the thing about exiling someone is, if you've been exiled, you can't inherit from your family. So it meant that the title Duke of Lancaster... All of the land, all of the money, everything that John O'Gaunt had worked to, you know, get over his lifetime would go back to the king rather than to his son. So he he was trying to get rid of the power of the, <clears throat> the Lancaster family by exiling Henry Bolingbroke. John O'Gaunt was forced to say goodbye to his son in October of 1397, knowing that he would... Which one? Henry Bolingbroke knowing that you'll probably never see him again. Henry was going over to Paris. That's where he was going to be exiled to. John O'Gaunt died on February the 3rd, 1399, having been loyal to the promise he made to his brother at the cost of his own reputation and his own son. But when Richard immediately took all of the lands and titles, John's son Henry decided that he was not quite as loyal to his cousin as his dad had been. So Henry was like, yeah, I'd, I'm not happy with this. I don't like what you've done there, Richard, and I think I'm going to come and take my stuff back. Thank you very much. Returning from exile in Paris, he quickly raised a Lancastrian force of over 30,000 men who were sick of Richard. So he basically he came back over to the north of England and went, is anyone else really, really sick of Richard? And everyone's hands went up and they went, yeah, me, I don't like him. I don't like him either. And he got 30,000 men ready to fight for him. And Richard died? Well, faced with a force that he knew he couldn't match, Richard agreed to step back from being king. He oh, said, good. I'm going to stand down from this king thing just as long as you don't kill me. And they didn't kill him. So, almost exactly two years to the day after he'd been exiled, Henry Bolingbroke became King Henry IV. While it is believed that the former King Richard II eventually starved to death in Pontefract Castle in the year 1400. No. So while he didn't kill him, they did forget to feed him. Oh. I know, it's just embarrassing that. And then when they finally went to check on him after a couple of weeks, they went, oh, he died. It's because they didn't feed him. Yeah, I know. Silly. 
Oh, well. So that's how Richard II died. Someone forgot to feed him. John O'Gaunt may never have been a king himself, but he was the father of one. He was also the grandfather of one. And he was the great-great-grandfather of one called Henry VII. And he was the son of the one. Yeah, he was also the son of one. But he was the great-great-grandfather of a king called Henry VII, who won the War of the Roses and founded the Tudor dynasty. But that is a story for another time. So that is a very brief discussion of the life of John O'Gaunt, who I think during our Peasants' Revolt episode, I was quite down on. I was quite negative towards. But I feel he was actually a better person than I gave him credit for. He was very, very loyal. And he would always do what he was asked to do by his family, even if it was something that led to him being seen as a bad guy. But he's not a bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy. So I think... Are we are we happier with John O'Gorn now, Evie, do you think? Yes, very. Do you, do you think he's nicer? Yes, mm. but not as hun- as the, but he's still, he's my second favourite. King Henry VIII is my favourite, you know. Yeah. King Harold. King Harold. Yeah. Do you want to hear something nice about John O'Gorn, though, yes. to end with? Yes. He was buried next to his first wife, Blanche. And if you go to the tomb now, on the top of the tomb, there's a little sculpt, there's a little carving of John O'Gorn and Blanche holding hands on top of the tomb. So they're together again. So they're like in the same. Yeah, they're in the same forevermore. They're together because he did. Re- he was. She was the love of his life. So after he died, he was placed right next to her, holding hands forever, which is nice. Oh, you could be more enthusiastic. You were the one talking about being reunited in heaven. Yeah. Hmm. Although it'll be a bit awkward when Richard the Second gets there, won't it? A very thin Richard II. Oh dear. That'd be an awkward reunion in heaven, that one. Yeah, awkward. Mm. Plus you'd have to feed him a lot to get him back to normal. Yeah, you would. And the source we used was The Red Prince, John O'Gaunt, Duke of Lancaster, by Helen Carr. There you go, Evie. Lots of words in that one, isn't there? Oh, look, Penny. Yep. That's how much they had to cost. <laughs> yeah, so there are some pictures. So that's that's his jacket. Dry gaunt. Yeah. And I know it looks a bit grotty, but it is nearly, a, you know, 700 and years old. Is his brothers? No, his brothers, the Black Princes, is somewhere else, actually. For some reason, they both left a jacket. <clears throat> that are now being um, shown up in the church. But there you go. So was that an okay story? Yes. Okay. Are you ready for bed now? Yes. Yeah, I could, I could feel the energy was drooping towards the end there. You you really want to see my night shield? My gum shield? Yeah, to hold it. You're a strange little girl, you know that? Yeah, I do. Mm. I haven't eaten anything blue that I shouldn't, but people think I've gone crazy. I can't think of a better way to end. 
Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric, here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.